0: Welcome to the Immigration Hour. It's great to be with you this week. I'm your host, Charles Cook, uh, of Cook Baxter Immigration. Great to be with you. You know, we spend a lot of time on our, on our podcast talking about the current developments, what's going on, uh, uh, trying to help us understand uh, why things are happening in addition to what actually is happening. Uh, and today, I wanted to start out with a fantastic article uh, that came out in Mother Jones, a couple of days ago uh, by Laura Thompson. It's called Meet the Extreme Nativists Guiding Our Immigration Policy. I've spent a lot of time over the years trying to point out that uh, the fact that there is a large cabal of anti-immigration activists in the United States, large in the context not of their numbers, but in their outsized influence, and that they have for the last four years— been working hand in hand with Donald Trump. Uh, he rode their wave uh, and their rhetoric, uh, disguised a little bit, but he rode their rhetoric and their force to the White House. And he has put them directly in charge of every aspect of immigration policy. Uh, now, there have been a lot of uh, people in the government, lifelong bureaucrats, uh, that have fought over the last couple of years kind of fought against some of the more extreme and crazy measures uh, that these guys come up with. But keep in mind, people like the Federation for American Immigration Reform, the Center for Immigration Studies, they have had a list for decades of all the things that they want to change within the context of administrative law that they can change without congressional assistance uh, in order to limit legal immigration to the United States. They're never gonna have success at the congressional level. They're not gonna get their point system. They're not gonna uh, limit people from countries that are different, color, a, different a different color than white. Uh, but they can use and manipulate the policies because Congress has given such extraordinarily broad authority to the executive branch and successive presidents have generally used their power, generally speaking, to ameliorate some of the harsher aspects of our immigration laws and to create methods by which people could somehow get right with the law on occasion. Uh, But that's now changing. So I I would have you take a look at Laura Thompson's article. It's really, really good from August 5th. Um, She starts it out as this. She says, it may be difficult to remember now, but there was once a time when nativism was a relatively fringe ideology. Forty years ago, a Michigan ophthalmologist turned political activist named John Tanton pioneered a movement that sought to rebrand anti-immigrant fear-mongering as legitimate concern about overpopulation. Decades later, it finally worked. Now, we celebrated his death a couple days ago. Uh, He died uh, um, uh, of old age, apparently, Um, likely cared for by immigrant nurses in a hospital. Uh, and uh, he tried to intellectualize nativism. So basically, he's done what libertarians have never really been able to do, um, which is to really help people understand their aspect, their, their approach, and get a broader buy-in. Um, and he is, they did this uh, by shifting the focus uh, to the economic impact of immigrants— where they're especially critical of immigrant welfare recipients, which, under IRA IRA, is not legitimately possible. Uh, Virtually no state in the United States, the federal government, allows for immigrants to actually use public benefits. Their children can, but generally they can't other than emergency medical care because we don't want people walking around with gunshot wounds or bubonic plague. So we say, come on in, we'll make sure you're not going to die. Uh, or in the context of public schools, which, of course, public schools are not welfare. We all pay into public schools. Their argument is that, well, if the immigrants weren't here, uh, you, they, you know, they wouldn't be benefited from the, from, from the public money that I pay. Well, they pay into that system as well. Um, and honestly, their kids, who are U.S. citizens for the most part, um, are, in fact, bettering America, creating jobs, creating opportunities. But, you know, you, you can't talk to people like that. And also, the other thing they keep doing is they talk about the serious crimes committed by illegal aliens, uh, when in reality, uh, as Dan Stein, the head of the president of FAIR, the Federation for American Immigration Forum, says, quote, immigrants don't come all church-loving, freedom-loving, God-fearing. Many of them hate America. They hate everything that the United States stands for. You know, that's a lie. Uh, I don't meet people like that on a daily basis, and I meet with immigrants every single day. And it's just stunning to me that this organization, which really is founded on hate, uh, is now really running our entire U.S. Immigration. Well, let's take a look at some of the people who run, who come out of FAIR and CIS, who come out of the anti-immigration, overpopulation, pro-abortion movement. We'll start with Julie Kirshner who is the ombudsman for the USCIS. This is actually quite a powerful position in that you can hold USCIS accountable. Uh, Julie Kirscher was FAIR's government relations director from 05 to 07, uh, where she argued one vehemently against, quote, amnesty programs. Um, uh, In fact, she's now in charge of helping people involved in some of these, quote, amnesty programs, like DACA or TPS. Uh, to get their work permits and then more pro- more quickly process their cases, which is probably why it's taking eight months to get those uh, to get those positions. <clears throat> In 07, she became the executive director of Fair, Fair's leader, uh, which she held until she made she became a Trump campaign advisor <laughs> until 2015. Um, yeah, it is uh, a joke. Next, you have Robert Law, senior policy advisor of USCIS Law at the time that Trump won, was the government relations director at FAIR. He co-authored a lengthy anti-immigration wish list, wish list for the early days of the new administration. Let's look at some of this wish list that the senior policy advisor, that is the person in charge of making sure USCIS creates new policies, put together. This is a 20-page um, a um, article um, or, or a brief of all the things that they wanted to do, uh, and it really is quite fascinating as you go through this, uh, what are the things that they wanted, what, you know, the policies they wanted to change. Look at that. End, catch, release. Done. Secure the northern border. Eh. Increase our capacity to confront and resolve both land-based and waterborne mass migration events. Trump actually invited those into the country. Enforce immigration. Remove immigration violators. Well, and it's funny, uh, they, they argued the Obama administration's priority enforcement program must be rescinded. Okay, they rescinded it. And what happened? Deportations went down. More people come to the border because of what Trump was going to do. I mean, these people don't think forward. They don't think strategically. Punish repeat offenders. Restore programs that promote cooperation between federal and state and local law enforcement. We have more local law enforcement getting out of the business of cooperating with the government than getting in under Trump. Um, dry up incentives attracting illegal aliens. No more amnesties. Oh, well, we only had an amnesty in 86, by the way. End visa overstays. All right. That's not happening. Implement mandatory e-verify. Oh, that's great. End birthright citizenship. There's threats that that you know, they think the president by an executive order can change the constitution. That's not going to happen. And free health care. There is no free health care for uh, undocumented immigrants. In fact, just emergency medical care, because, again, we don't be walking around with the a bubonic plate. They don't care about that. Ensure compliance with the Real ID Act, um, and they go on and on for these things that they want to do. But in the first 100 days, they said this. The president must immediately revoke DACA. Okay, that was in 100 days, but they did it in the first year. Um, he said they must exercise his programmatic impoundment, of, impoundment authority, and deny federal funds to any state or local jurisdiction refuses to cooperate. Up, oh, that was found illegal. That was but they tried it. Next, <clears throat> the president end ICE's Priority Enforcement Program. Done, got it taken care of. Directed DHS to rescind all prosecutorial discretion memorandum. That's right, no more deferred action. That is, in fact, what's actually happened around the country, um, and they just ended the program for. Haitians uh, that came out of Harifa and Filipino veterans, because why should we pay our debts to the men that helped us beat Japan in World War II? Um, he must direct the Department of State uh, to use its so authority, refuse visas to any country, refuse to accept visas. Oh, done, taken care of. President must demand Congress pass Kate's law, which, of course, they can't demand pass anything. Um, ICE must resume unannounced worksite inspections. And they are, in fact, doing that. ICE must increase the fines levy, done, taken care of. The president must prioritize construction of a wall. Well, he's tried, but he's not succeeded in that very well. Um, Must ensure that CBP is fully staffed. Well, they literally can't fully staff because nobody wants that hellacious job. Um, president must issue an executive order which invalidates any further issues of Interior, Department of Interior regulations that hinder the Border Patrol's activities done, taken care of. Uh, DHS and DOS must issue joint uh, regulations which establish clear uh, vetting of individual applications. That They've done that. Require comprehensive vetting, would include social media. Done. Mandate the DHS and DHS deny any application filed an application who does not meet the aforementioned vetting standards. Done. Mandate the DOS and DHS, um, when they can't determine somebody's vetting standards, deny the visa. Done. Um, refugees and asylees. The president should direct DHS to deny asylum to aliens who could have sought protection from a safe country. Boom. Now, are you getting the pattern here? This is literally, Trump is literally carrying out the wish list of FAIR. It's literally, can you imagine another, quote, non-profit organization that has, I mean, you can think of one in the last 50 years that has had their entire policy agenda implemented by the president when they gained office. I mean, can you name any? No, you can't. Uh, it some more under legal immigration. The president must order significant reductions in the number of people admitted every year pursuant to TPS. So done, taken care of no, done humanitarian parole done refugee and asylum programs done. So that literally he's complying with this. DHS must require a collection of biometric data of all legal immigrants done. DHS must take measures to regulate OPT done. DHS must consider increasing the filing fees. That's happening shortly, and that will be done. Benefits. DHS must revoke work authorization for H-1B spouses. They're in the process. DHS must enforce the public charge grounds. Done. Uh, that, that was in the first 100 days. They go on now for the first year. Uh, here's my funny one. DHS must allow ICE agents to question any alien they have resolution to believe in the country unlawfully, regardless of circumstance. Yeah, I mean, they don't really care about, you know how the law works. Uh, So you see, this this is happening. And that's why anybody who who wants to understand where this anti-immigrant, anti-American rhetoric policies and ideas are coming from, go read Laura Thompson's article at Mother Jones. No, Mother Jones is a communist magazine. Well, whatever whatever you think it is, it's still a great article. Um, she talks about Robert Law, which we went into. That's interesting. He wrote that. John Fear, he's a senior advisor at ICE. Um, his claim to fame is an off sided briefing on birthright citizenship, which he wrote when he was at CIS, the Center for Immigration Studies. Um and uh, he left ICE in 2018, advocated for calm, informed, serious discussion on the wisdom of legally granting automatic U.S. citizens to children a birth tourists. You've got Elizabeth Jacobs, senior advisor USCIS, was a FAIR lobbyist uh, who advocated for ending the TPS program, which she did. Ron Mortensen and Ian Smith. Smith was employed by Immigration Law Reform Institute, which is FAIR's legal arm, before he became a policy analyst at DHS. Smith resigned at the Atlantic leak emails tying him to prominent white nationalists. Yes. Mortensen was a fellow at US at CIS. He was nominated to be assistant secretary for population refugees and migration. Um, hopefully, uh, and Congress never voted on that. Trump renominated him and it's still pending. That's a guy who should never have any ability to influence any immigration policy ever, ever. Uh, so again, read mother Jones article. It is not only fascinating, but is fact filled um, and also gives you that great link to FAIR's wish list. Uh, this, is, uh, this is who we're talking about, uh, and these, this is the wish, and I know I have colleagues, and I know a lot of the uh, prominent uh, pro-immigration organizations in, 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 in D.C. are also keeping their wish list track of all the things that will have to be reverted so that we can recapture uh, the immigration Ability and the glory that Reagan once talked about as a shining city on a hill once we can uh, wipe the mold and the infestation uh, that has uh, come to Washington in the last two and a half years. I'll take a quick break here on the Immigration Hour. We'll be right back. Welcome back uh, to uh, The Immigration Hour. It's great to have you with us today. Again, your host, Charles Cook, uh, here, Cook, Baxter Immigration. Uh, Thanks for all our loyal listeners. Uh, I've now switched over from our old The Immigration Hour on iTunes uh, and uh, SoundCloud and Stitcher and all the other uh, areas where we uh, download uh, our podcasts um still having a little discussion with our previous hosts to see if we can recapture all those old immigration hour shows over the last decade uh and hopefully one day we'll have that you know um this is uh we this is Tuesday it's July uh, I mean it's August uh 6th and we are a couple days removed from these horrific shootings in El Paso and uh Uh, and Dayton, not to be confused with Toledo, by the way, and and only a week removed from what happened at the Garlic Festival in Gilroy, California. And you had President Trump do something, which, again, if you think back to the first part of the show, everything, everything, everything comes back to immigration. Everything. Because they feel they won the White House stoking the fears of immigration. Now, of course... Democrats are terrible about countering this argument, and Biden buys into half of it. You know, I mean, somebody just pull that guy aside and bring him into the 21st freaking century, would you? Um, I mean, if he's going to be the Dem nominee, I would at least appreciate he understands, uh, you know, what is best for America going forward. So President Trump on Monday, uh, bowing to an extraordinary amount of pressure Coming on uh, then as, as a result of, of these shootings on some limit of gun control, he suggested tying stronger background checks on gun buyers to immigration reform legislation. Quote Republicans and Democrats must come together and get strong background checks, perhaps marrying this legislation with desperately needed immigration reform. What? What are you talking about? This is. Domestic terrorism, spawned by white nationalism, uh, fueled by Trump's rhetoric, um, and we'll get in a second about the FBI thinks about that. That has literally nothing to do with immigration at all, other than being white nationalists. And there is there is simply no let not only a straight line, there is no crooked line that you can draw between active measures to ensure that people that should not have guns don't have guns to immigration. You know, it's already illegal under immigration law, under federal law, for an undocumented immigrant to own a gun, to touch a gun, to be with a gun, to use a gun, I mean, literally to be anywhere near guns. It's just completely illegal. And so other than that, what else do you want to do? This is, once again, the president's desire. Um, and here's what he said. We must have something good, if not great, come out of these two terrific grades. God, is this this guy is just completely devoid of not only compassion and empathy, but a clue. Uh, there is there is no way that Congress is ever going to bring up immigration reform while Trump's president. It's not going to happen. But more importantly... There's no way to tie these two together unless what you're trying to do, and this is why he's doing it, you're trying to put as much limits as you can on immigration and tying a little bit of gun control, a little bit, a little bit of review, a little bit of, um, um, uh, 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 of okay, with well, a little tiny background check to an incomplete elimination of immigration. He, he realizes this point that he's never going to be able to accomplish the big thing that the folks in uh, uh, FAIR and CIS and, and the ones running DHS and ICE want him to accomplish. Um, so he has to figure out any which way, any which way, to try to make that happen uh, as part of this. And um, so a- as he does this, it's, it's you know, I said a great article about this in Time. It t- says that um tying these two together risks mudding two already contentious issues. Um, you know, it, it is um, it just I guess it's so wildly frustrating that when we could effectively deal with white nationalism uh, by uh, getting uh, a much more aggressive enforcement, And focus uh, on the uh, uh, on the uh, white nationalist movement. But we could also at the same time um, understand that uh, we are not actually doing that. Yesterday, an article came out that said FBI agents are reluctant to reluctant to pursue white national extremists like like these two guys because they don't want to target Trump's base. What? What? Dave Gomez, a former counterterrorism agent, told the Washington Post that he thought a fear of being seen as targeting Trump's base was muting the agency's response to violence by white nationalists. That, that's kind of crazy. Um, now, the FBI, of course, declined to comment um, and, of course, all these are completely not accurate. But when you think about it, if you don't, I mean, already the FBI is viewed as terrible under Trump. He hates the FBI because he, he knows, honestly, that he's likely guilty of multiple crimes. They don't want him shooting him, but they don't want to anger him further, make him do something stupid. Um, in July, uh, FBI Director Ray, an Atlanta lawyer, by the way, Uh, said an increasing number of domestic terrorism incidents were were motivated by white supremacist and white nationalist ideologies, which Trump primes. Uh, The other day I was watching uh, Morning Joe, and they repaid over and over again uh, a rally of Trump on the panhandle of Florida in which he laughed off and kind of led the crowd in laughing. Uh, A comment from the crowd after he talked about the invasion, what are we going to do about the invasion, and somebody yelled, shoot them. And he just laughed, oh, only in the panhandle can you say that? But he made it through how he reacted, he made it seem completely normal. And that then encourages people who are predisposed to violence, who are predisposed to doing stupid stuff, to actually happen, actually do it. Um, So... We, we look at this idea of domestic terrorism, gun control, and immigration as, as three things, two of which belong to each other and one of which does not belong at all. Uh, as we see this idea of trying to bootstrap immigration reform, we know ultimately that it's just not going to happen uh, because the immigration reform that, as we point out in the first segment, that, that this administration wants to happen is not immigration reform. It's immigration elimination. And that is how you will significantly damage our economy. It's how you would significantly damage the American psyche and how you would significantly damage America's image in the world. Uh, we are, as a country, inextricably linked in uh, the rest of the world's image, through our immigration eye, our immigration heritage. When other countries look to us almost every, mo- most people in almost every country will can say, yes, I have a relative in the United States. And look how good he is, and look how different his life is. Look how much better. Pe- they want to end that. They want to isolate us from the rest of the world and do it in a way that will significantly harm our economy, our society, and our American psyche. Uh, Politico, a couple days ago, also was able to secure a whole raft of emails showing that Stephen Miller, again, another player in the fair CIS universe, um, as he sent out uh, emails um, trying to get immigration regulation, he sent a series of scorching emails to top immigration officials calling on the department's. An embarrassment for not acting fast. Remember, we walked through the we walked through the fair list, right? And that's Miller. Miller is taking that fair list and implementing it. Why do you think he got rid of Frank Stisna? Frank Stisna, while no great blessing to the agency, at least was qualified by his knowledge to understand immigration law. Well, he was not qualified to run the agency. But he was qualified to understand what the agency was doing. He'd worked for a decade in Congress or uh, maybe 20 years in Congress on this. But Miller got him dumped to put in Cusinelli, who you might not believe is not the head of ICE, actually, it's the head of USC, acting head of director of USS, illegally. We got into that in a past show, because he believes that Cusinelli will act faster. The emails which political obtained through the FOIA shed new light on how aggressively Miller has pressured the DHS to move faster on regulations to limit immigration. Critics say that the new rules uh, would be used to shore up Trump's political base in the coming election year and that it's an illegitimate tool to reduce legal immigration. One former Trump official said Miller has maintained a singular obsession with the public charge rule, which he's argued would bring about a transformative change to U.S. immigration law. It's not going to do that, by the way. Uh, but they think it will, but it won't. What it will do ultimately when Trump's gone is they'll do away with that public charge law in a way that, it, uh, that it's not the detriment. You know, you think about this. How are they using that? I'm going to take a sidestep here on the public charge law. Think about how they're using that currently in Ciudad Juarez. So a US citizen spouse, a wife typically, married to an undocumented immigrant, he's been in the country for 20 years. Okay, She achieves US residence through her dad, who waited 25 years. Uh, she now sponsors him, and he has to go to the embassy for his interview. She has been raising their kids for a decade. So she's not working. He, on the other hand, is working hard. Under the table, but making $30,000, $40,000, $50,000, $60,000, 70000 he is the primary breadwinner. He goes to the embassy and says, oh, well, your wife doesn't make enough money to sponsor you, therefore you can't go in. You can't go back. Who does that hurt if he can't go back? The U.S. citizen wife, who's dependent on her husband for his earnings, who will earn more when he comes back because now we will have a green card. Or the kids, who are U.S. citizens, who are stuck here without their dad. Think about that. This guy wants to intentionally separate families who people who are currently working for what exactly? What reason? You know, you can't go on public welfare until you've been a permanent resident for five years or are a U.S. citizen. So it's not like you're coming in and using a system. Uh, you're barred from doing that. So but this is his singular exception. This is I mean, this shows how immature he actually is as well. Uh, because he, he can't see the, the biggest pressure at the receiving end of Miller's pressure campaign was Frank Cisna, who's also an immigration hawk. His mom's Peruvian, by the way. Thank you, Peru, for sending his mom up here and not, her not teaching him correctly. Um, who who with strong support from restrictionist groups resigned in May, which also saw Kirsten Nielsen leave. In an email sent on June 8th, Miller lambasted Cisna for the pace of his efforts to implement the public charge rule. Francis, the timeline on public charge is unacceptable, Miller wrote. Quote, the public charge reg has been in the works for a year and a half. This is time we don't have, and I don't care what you do to finish it. You run an agency of 20,000 people you know, if Cisna had any huevos, he knows what that means, he would have wrote back and said, Miller, screw you. We're going to follow the law as best as we can, and we're not going to rush into this to do, to, so that the law gets struck down in court. Because remember, Miller's, everything Miller's done has been struck down in the courts. I mean, everything, he, he loses constantly. Um, so in the message, um, Miller derided CISNA's overall performance at CIS, agency charged with screening visa applicants and processing immigration a great program. PESTA was known for a deliberate approach to the regulatory process. Quote, it's an embarrassment that you've been there for 18 months and USCIS has not published a single major regulation. Um, that's not true, but uh, it is uh, troubling to see how Miller is micromanaging this and with, of course, the permission of Trump. He doesn't do this without you know, a Trump buying in. Um, and um, the argument is Trump is poised to make immigration a concentric, concentric piece of his reelection campaign. A new crackdown on legal immigrants who receive government assistance could energize voters who view immigration, even when done legally, as a fiscal drain and as a cultural danger. You go back to what we talked about first, how the CIS and FAIR folks have turned this. They've turned this issue. Um, And now it's a culture issue. Now it's you're afraid of people taking your jobs. None of that is true. There's literally no empirical evidence that reflects the truth of that. Yet people buy into it every single day. Now, he goes on, by the way, uh, Jessica Vaughn says this. She's the current director of CIS. Uh, this is something that will play well going into the next election, especially considering the prevailing view among Democratic candidates who are talking about admitting more immigrants and offering more benefits. They're actually not talking about that, but again, you don't have to tell the truth if you're on the anti-immigration. You just you can literally spew out lie after lie, after, and then they'll say, "Oh no, show me that I'm wrong." So instead of them having to prove they're right and the media forcing them to do that, the media goes to peaks like me, well, show me how they're wrong. That's not my job. I didn't make this statement. You have to prove it's right if you're gonna make that statement. Um, now here's the better part. Miller's previous, this is what. This is why these, these emails are so important. Miller's previously undisclosed emails could raise legal questions about whether the public charge rule was rushed to the completion of the regulatory process And which will almost certainly be challenged in courts. Um, Now, it is. uh, There's lots of good emails here. Um, uh, Acting Director Kucinich, Trump's uh, assistant's replacement, said the public charge regulation will demonstrate Trump's remaining committed to his immigration agenda. He said, "Quote: People assign value to leaders who keep their promises, not that Trump has, and what, and that's what the president is doing here. Uh, This is uh, really fascinating." As part of this process, and as part of these these emails that are going forward, um, Miller has frequently checked on the status of public target regulation since the start of the Trump's tenure, according to a second former official. Uh, however, the department's attorneys were concerned with crafting a regulation that would withstand legal challenges, uh, which is what why they're going so slow because they know it's good they're going to attack this regulation. Every which way but Sunday. Basically, they want to hold people accountable for using legally available benefits, you know, regardless of when it happened. So it, 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 it carries with it a great deal of stuff. By the way, the USCIS redacted, this is response to Miller, but Miller forwarded the reply to Craig Simmons, agency's chief counsel at the time, quote, months this needs to be days and weeks, Miller wrote to Simons, adding that Mick Mulvaney promised the president that it would happen quickly. Um, this is uh, a treasure trove article. You should read it on Politico uh, from August 2nd. Uh, it is a, a fascinating look. We're going to take our, our final break here on the Immigration Hour. We'll be back in a minute uh, with more immigration updates and news. Talk to you in a minute. Welcome back um, again for you. Just a brief moment for me, more than a brief moment. Um, sometimes you've got to get your got to wet the whistle and just kind of get some water in your in your throat so you can talk more clearly. Uh, there's been again another major victory by immigration lawyers and our colleagues at uh, ACLU and SPLC and Vox, Oaksa Clinic. I mean, I, I, I got to tell you what I, one thing that has been great as a result of the Trump administration's attack on immigrants is how so many disparate organizations, which in the past in which there had been a little bit of infighting, have come together and consistently and 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 extraordinarily well sued the Trump administration over policies, memos, regulations, uh, presidential directives, executive orders, and even the law to hold the president accountable. And I, I am proud to be associated, proud to be an immigration lawyer, but proud to be associated with such really remarkable lawyers. Uh, I, I think you know some people have argued for years that immigration law um, attracted uh, lawyers who were lazy, it's just filling out forms. How hard could it possibly be? And I think what 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 the world is discovering is that immigration lawyers are freaking brilliant. We are doing things in the law that I think a lot of folks thought were never possible. Uh, not, and I think it's important to recognize how important and vital it is for what immigration lawyers are. We are saving lives. We are stopping the implementation of rules and policies and directives that will cost people their literal lives if they were not undone. And I, I, a shout out this week uh, to Judge Randolph Moss in Washington, D.C., who ruled that the uh, Trump administration law that limits asylum claims on the southern border to immigrants who enter through a designated port of entry is illegal. Of course it's illegal. It's in direct contravention to INA 208A. This, is, this was actually a really easy one to win. Uh, you can't deny asylum to people because they don't come to the port of entry, which, by the way, and this and every immigration lawyer knows this at this point, you can apply for asylum in the United States regardless of how you got here or at a port of entry. When I CBP is limiting how many people can come to a port of entry, step one. Two, forcing them to live in Mexico, which we'll get to in a second, while they wait to come to the port of entry and present their claim. Two, returning them to Mexico to await their claims, three, and then complaining and then issuing a regulation that says, well, if, if you want to skip that and come illegally, we're not going to let you apply for asylum, basically forcing people to come illegally to apply for asylum. That's illegal. You just can't do that. Uh, so Judge Randolph Moss found that the Trump uh, rule is both contrary to national immigration laws and because it was not issued as a regulation, it was just a policy memo, violated the APA. Uh, he required uh, uh, that the rule be vacated uh, and issued a national injunction uh, as to all immigrants. Um, he also rejected a request to limit the, uh, the, the ruling to the plaintiffs in the case. Oh, my gosh. You know, to, to have to defend this in some ways... I feel sorry for some U.S. attorneys, but you know there are some people that are angling as the U.S. attorneys defending this to go work for CIS and FAIR when Trump leaves the White House. They know this is not a long-term career move, Um, and we've seen even in some of the oral arguments in the circuit courts how embarrassed, how embarrassingly bad the arguments are to support some of this nonsense uh, that moves forward. Um, uh, this last week, uh, we also saw something quite interesting um, in the context of rulings on whether the Trump administration's migrant protection policy, or Mexico, you know, return to Mexico policy, is legal. Um, I think what we, I think we will see that policy struck down as well. When Trump announced that he had entered into an agreement with Guatemala for the relocation of asylum seekers who, from any country, by the way. Not just, not just Guatemala, any country to go there, uh, I don't think he understood that the, the guy signing the agreement for Guatemala was likely unauthorized to do so. Uh, the presidential election is coming up, and that president is likely to lose because of this, um, and that there's an injunction in Guatemala prohibiting this particular thing from taking place. Uh, so while he announced that it, it will have no effect, and I think long term, it will be gone. But what he did to get it was what's outrageous, where he basically extorted the president of Guatemala. Look, we will cancel all the visas for Guatemalan officials. Uh, we will put tariffs on all your goods, and we will tax remittances to Guatemala. It's e- economic extortion. It's like uh, Trump is, I guess, learning lessons from the mafia he dealt with all those years in New York. Um, so this this particular stuff is um, uh, is nuts. Um, in court, uh, the border and thorough arm-bending negotiations with regional with Mexico and Guatemala uh, looks like that that stuff is is literally going to be struck down and will not go into effect. Uh, you can't have a safe third-country agreement with a country that's actually not a Safe third country. Um, just not. I mean, that's just kind of the way it is. Uh, and, uh, it, and it's funny when you think about AMLO and Mexico caving to Trump, throwing more of his troops at the bo- both borders, uh, and what that's really meant for the overall numbers coming to the United States. What does surprise me as a lawyer who does. We do a lot of asylum cases. Besides our immigration, our business immigration and investor practice, is um, how many people coming as immigrants uh, don't understand what they're really doing? Uh, some of them, I mean, Trump is right on this. People have been said Obama talked about this too. People have been sold a bill of goods about coming to the border. Uh, many of them are not prepared to seek asylum. Uh, folks I met with yesterday uh, came in as a family in January. Released as a family, shockingly. Usually they separate the dad. Um, And they were told to report on ICE a week later, to report it to ICE. And then they were told to come back four months later. They came back four months later and said, and ICE says, oh, now you have an order of deportation. He said, we haven't gotten any notice. Uh, They had been sent the notice to an address that they had gave uh, and never received the notice for court hearing. But they had never talked to a lawyer. They had never talked to uh, a social service agency. They never talked to anybody about getting an asylum case done Because they'd never been told that they had to do that when they came in the country. They thought that they would receive a notice in court, and they would just go to court and explain why they wanted to come and what they were afraid of in their home country. Uh, This is happening more and more um, uh, for a lot of people. Uh, So these, these people are one of those statistics where they have an in absentia order, but it's because they never got the notice, and they didn't understand the claim process because it was never explained to them at the border. Uh, when Dad told me that they they came in at the border, they were uh, uh, they were they said we 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 want asylum. They uh, they were told we don't have room for you today. Go back. He went back. They crossed the next day. They waited for ICE the CBP to pick them up. They processed them in a day and released them. And they never had a credible fear hearing. Never were told what they had to do. And it's really just remarkable uh, about about how the incompetence at the border the the overall uh, abandonment of uh, of responsibility by the administration is causing one more illegal immigration that's you know that's why he's created this whole crisis that he complains about but two it's costing people their ability to 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 apply for relief under our laws, and and is in fact at least costing some people their lives. Uh, a couple of the things that happened this week uh, is that uh, Trump did not redesignate Syria for TPS, even though they're still in the midst of a civil war. He extended TPS for current Syrian applicants, but did not redesignate it, which means it, if you can't if you came now, you can't apply for TPS to start with. And uh, the Senate. Also, basically said, we're not going to move forward on TPS for uh, for Venezuelans. A vote was blocked on that. The House passed the TPS resolution of Venezuelans. And I mean, with all, with all my love to Venezuelans, if they didn't give it to Colombia when Colombia was in the midst of what was nothing less than a civil war in the 90s and 2000s, why would they do it in, the, in Venezuela now? I mean, he hasn't done it to Cubans. He's sending more Cubans back every single day. Understand the rhetoric of Trump, which, which attracts some people. Oh, he's strong against Maduro. He's strong against uh, Cuba. But his policies, I mean, what they actually do to help people who flee that regime is zero. Just like when they announced they're not going to take any refugees next year. None. That goes to what? CIS and FAIR have, um, uh, have consistently, consistently um, done to uh, reduce legal immigration to America, to make it harder to legally immigrate. I mean, and this show's really been dedicated to educating our listeners to understand that, in fact, at the end of the day, when this administration is done, it will be a lot harder to immigrate to the United States. And the law that Congress passed will not have changed one iota, but it will become much harder because decades of work to make our immigration system work at least somewhat effectively in light of its dysfunction will have been completely obliterated, will have been decimated, will have been wiped out. That's the fight that we have to fight every day as immigration lawyers, and as those that love our immigrant friends and neighbors and family. We'll sign off this week. We'll talk to you next, uh, next week. There will be no new show next week. I will be uh, traveling, uh, looking forward to it, and uh, we will be back in a couple weeks on the Immigration Hour.